When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Will Reads, a Will of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, they'll be discussing the prologue in chapters 1 and 2 of The Great Hunt, The Flame of Tarvalon, and The Welcome. Enjoy. All right, moving on to season two, episode one, um, our 25th episode, because um, uh, we start The Great Hunt. Um, and uh, and every, I know I'm excited. I think everyone listening on Discord is excited as well. Um, I think Ian and Chris are excited to get into another book. Uh, Definitely. So, so uh, all around excitement about entering our second book of The Wheel of Time. But before we get into the book, a couple of quick housekeeping things. One thing that I have to mention, at least to our Discord people, by the time you guys hear this, um, by the time it's released, we've already, we already have done this. Um, but we are going to be on the Watt Trivia um, uh, this weekend on Saturday. Uh, DT runs the Watt Trivia Discord server, and they do like kind of a pub quiz type type feel. So we're the future guest for that uh, this Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if anybody on the Discord wants to join... We also, our whole audio for that is going to be recorded and it will be a bonus episode as well for our patrons. So our patrons. Nice. So, so um, if you guys want to hear that and miss Saturday, or you guys are hearing us and didn't come to our discord, listen to us live and just hearing us now next week. It's already passed. The only way you'll ever be able to hear it is if you join the Patreon. So, but that's okay. Um, it's just a little bonus thing we're doing. And it's a lot of fun. Our, you might be able to hear it if you actually ask uh, DT too. So that's at least how you'll hear it from us. <laughs> uh-huh. um, uh, speaking of Patre- Patreon, a um, couple of things there as well. I added two new levels uh, for patrons. So there's two new tiers um, that, that, that people can do. And with that said, I think uh, uh, Delusions already upped her Patreon level and so did Jake and Watt Credits. So we have three people up there. No new patrons. But people, you know, leveling up their their higher tiers there. So Thank much, much, much appreciated. Awesome. Um, Thank you. you. Know, we're always, yeah, we're always looking for new people there. There's a lot more benefits as well with the new tiers. Uh, just trying to find new ways. I'm always open for suggestions as well. But go check it out. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Wheel Reads. 
Um, look at the tiers. If you feel like you're so inclined to give us some money to help with equipment so I'm not having to start our podcast 20 minutes later than what we originally thought, um, <laughs> <laughs> much, much, much will be appreciated. So um, uh, with that being said, a um, couple of other housekeeping things moving forward. I guess it's in the same vein. When we originally started doing live recordings, um, it was supposed to be for patron, especially patron only perk. And during this whole COVID thing, we opened it up to everyone um, with the whole intention of eventually going back to patron, patron only or Patreon only. Um, it's at the lowest level. Um, so we're still doing this episode um, to everyone. And then next week's episode as well, will be open to everyone. So we're going to do more after that. We are going back to Patreon only the whole thing is it's $1 a month. If you pay the $1 once and cancel, as long as you got that one payment in, you get honorary forever membership. So it's basically not even $1 a month. It's just pay a dollar and you can listen to us forever and ever and ever. <laughs> you, and you just told uh, them how to cheat the system. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, I hope people keep the, keep the subscription going, but they want to cancel. That's fine. Um, I, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, it's only a dollar. It's just one of those things where, um, uh, you know, um, Originally, it was supposed to be a perk, so I don't want to uh, belittle that perk to people that are paying money for that, if that makes sense. Um, so we are going back to that. Occasionally, we will do still do uh, episodes for everyone as well um, as time goes on, kind of like as teasers. But yeah, that's that's kind of how we're going from there. So this week and next week, like I said, uh, still open to everyone. After that, it'll be you get the pants a dollar. To hear, it, to hear it live. You can still listen to us, of course, on any platform you listen to us on. It's <laughs> just for people that, that, are, uh, that are listening live to us. Um, yeah, so I think that's about it for right now with housekeeping. Um, does anybody want to start going with personal life and what's going on there? Yeah, so my uh, last week, uh, two weeks, it's all kind of blurring together now. Uh, so I'm still working, teleworking from home. Um, my younger two kids, they're staying with me pretty much the rest of the summer. The older two were kind of back and forth between, uh, hanging out with me and staying at mom's, you know, they're teenagers. So they don't always want to hang out with dad and that's cool. Uh, but yeah, time-wise, like everything just, uh, there's not a free moment. Everything's blurring together. And I, I guess I owe an apology we're recording a couple days later because um, <laughs> I've been taking my kids fishing a lot. Um, my uh, river is obsessed with fishing now. And the river that we've been going on has pretty big shifts in tides. One of the creeks that we went up, uh, tides started going out. And there is a there's a shortcut that as long as it's high tide, you can cut through this marsh. Uh, and it takes about... Mm, three quarters of a mile of rowing out. Uh, but the tide started going down. We tried to go through there. It went down too far. We had to scoot back out and then go the long way around. Anyways, I was super late getting back on Tuesday. Um, caught plenty of fish. It was a lot of fun, but totally missed the recording. So <laughs> apologies. Uh, my kids went apologize because they had a blast. <laughs> I was actually concerned we'd be stuck in the mud and that mud is thick. So I'm glad we didn't. We were able to scoot off it. So. It was a good, good time. Yeah. How about you, Chris? First off, I think it would be hilarious if you had gotten stuck in the mud and you had to have been rescued. 
been funny. I, that would have made the story much, much more interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad you got to spend the time with the kiddos. So trust yeah, me. Great. That's the valuable time. Those are the things in life that matter. That comes before podcasting. <laughs> no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for for me, I have dove headfirst into classes and working three and a half jobs and I am managing on four and a half to five hours of sleep every night. Like I managed to pull that much off, but like I'm at a point now where I've taken over two classes out of the seven that I'm taking right now. But I'm also like working, like I said, working full time while taking classes full time. Um, So that's been really fun. Um, And I have a couple of new friends in my life. So that's always interesting. One of which is, Really, really interesting. So I'm hoping that goes somewhere. But for those that were on last week, y'all heard enough about that. And other than mm-hmm. that, I am, you know, Father's Day is probably my least favorite time of the year um, for personal reasons, but got through that just fine. And I'm ready to get into this book. Awesome. So my biggest um thing that happened to me i guess there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now so i'm going on vacation next or this weekend slash next week um not really that i'm going anywhere cool um it would be cool if i was going somewhere awesome but travel's kind of next to nothing it's more the fact that i looked and i haven't taken any vacation yet this year we're halfway through the year and if i don't use it i'd lose it kind of thing um so i have to take some vacation yeah. um and yeah, so I took a week off. Um, so we are going to my in-laws, to, to my wife's family's uh, this weekend, uh, house this weekend, um, which is relaxing. Um, it'd be nice to, for them to see the kids because they live a couple hours away from us. Um, uh, when I say a couple hours, it's probably about a three, three, four hour drive. So it's not like super far, but it's far enough, if that makes sense. But they don't see them all the time. Um, and then... Uh, and then we're coming back for a day, going to record next Tuesday, as long as no one's stuck in the mud. And, <laughs> and then on Wednesday, we're driving out to um, a beach on the northern neck on the Chesapeake Bay. So um, actually, no, it's not the northern neck. It's on eastern shore. Um, we're going to Cape nice. um, by Cape Charles. So, so yeah, so it'll be kind of a fun little little beach. That's a little more private beach over on that side um, uh, of, of, the, of the bay. And yeah, um, looking forward to that. Also, as well, got to sail last night. Um, I'm a big sailboat racer, and I haven't raced sailboats since, I guess, November, October last year, because COVID happened. We stopped for the winter season, and then normally we start normally we start back up in, in March, but because of all the virus stuff, they canceled all the races and everything, and they just started mm-hmm. started them back up. So actually, Ian uh, came down and came on our boat. Um, one of the boats last night with me with his son. Uh, we did get we did hit the mud there too as well. So uh, <laughs> we totally ran aground. That was my <laughs> fault, I guess. <laughs> I don't think it was anybody's fault. We were looking at the charts and there's supposed to be tons of water there. So I think it was just that so long being off the water, something shifted. Uh, I think one of the sandbars might have shifted around. But anyway, it happens. Yeah, they um, they move. They do move. Um, so um, it's been a few months and and yeah, the, the charts were wrong. Which happens. Um, anyway, that's pretty much it for my personal life. Um, so a lot of stuff going on, but not, but not really a lot at the same time. Just yeah. <laughs> I feel you. 
But um, so let's go right into actual episode. So we'll first go with uh, previous predictions. Um, I'm not going to recap all the predictions from either world because there's too many. Um, we'd be here for an hour going through there. But I'll just kind of uh, talk about some of the ones from the last episode of either world, um, which I think Chris had said that there's multiple universes. Um, the group's going to split up again was another one. Ian said Matt blows the horn in chapter two of this book. Well, we made it to chapter two and that one's wrong. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to spoil it before we get into it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. We, we got in for everybody else in the episode. But uh, yeah. So Ian did predict, predict last episode that Matt's going to blow a horn by chapter two. But well, we'll talk more about that in, in a few in a few minutes. <laughs> Mwah, mwah. Or we get, or we just we could skip over that. Part and there, this is other predictions. Do you guys have any predictions that I'm missing? I mean, I kind of highlight what I think of and I write down. But um, anything you guys can think of that I'm that that you guys made predictions about that I kind of overlooked. I don't know. Chris, Chris had a lot of predictions on different people hooking up with different people. So yeah, we'll see that in we'll, the next three or four books here. Yeah, we yeah we'll all, see what we happens. Yeah, so we'll see. There might be some of those. Um, so let's get right into the book. Um, like we started last book, and I think I guys, because you guys all have like the e-reader and the different editions, uh, but I yeah. sent you guys the original cover art of The Great Hunt. And just like Eye of the World, um, we're going to start by judging a book by its cover. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the cover. Um, yeah, I got of, it in front of me now. Okay. Um, and see what your thoughts were about it. Um I know it's. We talked about this last time that the cover art doesn't really tell much, but it, you know, there's a lot of imagery here. You can obviously see, make out some people. But what are your thoughts? Uh okay. So, the dude in the forefront are those ears, or is that part of his cape? Those I think those are ears. Yeah. What the heck is going on there? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. What does Laurel really look like? He has tough ears to come to points. That's loyal. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Well, then yeah, I would I expect so. him to be a lot bigger. Yeah, I exactly. Too, yeah. But it, it looks really strange. Trust me. Like, what yeah. really throws it off is the fact that the lady in the back who, I'm not sure which character that's supposed to be, looks a lot larger than what she should. Okay. Yeah, at least, well, definitely compared to him, if that's supposed to be loyal. Well, yeah, right. because if that's loyal, then she, you know, has to be somewhere near like nine feet. And then we got right. the creepy guy in the background with the horn right. helm on. So mm-hmm. he's definitely a dark friend, but what he is exactly <laughs> is a question. Sure. Oh, there's the first sure. We need to, we yeah. need to mark that. That happened today at what time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a sure. Sure. And then, of course, and then they the, got the, the horn. Right. The horn. So the gentleman holding the horn, at first I was thinking was Matt, but is that Rand? Well, uh, he has a sword. He has a sword, but he also has a dagger. dagger. He's got the dagger. But then that, he also is wearing the dragon on his shirt. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess Rand, and he's kind of redhead-ish. Yeah. Like I said, it's not really great art, but yeah, it's yeah. art. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just saw him as Matt first because uh, yeah, the horn ever since Min, ever since Mid did her vision of Matt and talked about the horn with him, I've just mentally I associate him with it. So every time they yeah. bring it up or when we found it, I was like, "Aha, Matt's going on a quest." 
So if anybody have nothing to do with it, if anybody knows, wants to know what cover are we looking at? So in case you listen to this on audible or you've got the newer editions, cause the new paperback mass paperback don't have these pictures on these wonderful pictures on them. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you just Google like the great HUD and look at images, you'll see the, the original uh, and also some of the international um, depending on what country have different pictures as well. So uh, different editions are different things, but these are the original um, United States release. Uh, I believe pictures in the paperback. So, um, yeah, there are, <laughs> but anyway, we, like I said, whenever you look at a book, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I look at, if I, I, the world I thought was a little more interesting. If I, if I was in a bookstore and I hadn't read either world and I saw this cover, I don't know if I really know what the hell's going on and might not be that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but that's just me. Um, they might get better. They might get worse. We'll see. So let's <laughs> let's, sure. move, let's let's move right into the the first, uh, I guess, chapter that we're gonna, which is the prologue. Uh, this prologue actually has a name. It's called "In the Shadow," um, and the symbol that we have here um, is the Wheel of Time symbol. Um, that's how that uh, for the prologue. So, um, we'll. Let's talk about, I guess, you know, the, the title is In the Shadow. We didn't do a recap because we finished up last time. And then, um, you know, the Wheel of Time symbol, we can talk about that as well. But it's the beginning of the book. I don't know if it's much. Yeah, it's pretty sure. Yeah. Don't have too much to comment on it. I mean, the title itself is pretty cool, In the Shadow, because, like, here we thought that we've kind of gotten rid of our main protagonist. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, hold on a second. Excuse me, antagonist. Right. Yeah. And now yeah. it's like, hold on a second. We're we're in the shadow. Like, what? What's about to happen in the shadow? Sure. That's, yeah. that's a good catchy title for a prologue. Sure. And and I'll just say before we get into it, it is probably it probably is my favorite prologue. Um, I mean, Dragon Mount starts pretty good, you know, the beginning of Eye of the World, but it's so confusing your first time reading through. What's what the hell's going on? This you kind of understand the world a little bit more, and it's a lot more of a compelling prologue. But yeah, um, this was better than the first two chapters. Yes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I figured we'd do most of our talking tonight on the on the prologue and zip through the rest, and we probably will. But so we'll start right into the prologue. So we start with this man. He calls himself Bors, and he's looking at a chamber filled with people. He's uh, just got in, and there's. Hundreds of people, or at least a hundred people there, and he's super judgy towards everyone else. He's looking around the room, kind of shaping, uh, uh, shaping everyone up. You know, like you know, who, who's from where? What's their motivation? Who's stronger? Who's weaker? Where can I, you know, uh, wedge myself in to make myself a higher position? Things like that. Um, and, and and everyone's wearing masks, these dark masks, and so is he, like everyone else. And we get this description of the room as well. Um, just looks like a somewhere to palace, but looks really drag, you know, downtrodden. It's like, colorful tapestries and intricate patterns, mosaic floor. If one did not look too closely, the fireplace were cold. For one thing, flames danced on logs as thick as man's legs, but gave no heat. Mm-hmm. Like, there's your description. We are definitely in an ornate very beautiful big room mm-hmm. but then you have flames that are letting off no heat so it's mm-hmm. like almost like we're in a void or something 
Mm-hmm. Well, re- it reminded me of the the dreams that the boys were having. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I thought about. I thought at first we entered into a new dream sequence for a new character. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm not convinced that we're not like Beelzebub has this power to reach people and even have a physical connection through um, their dreams. So are all of these people physically gathered here or is he able to gather all of them in this dreamscape type scenario? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said like, doesn't Beazelman say in here that they're gathered in the shadow of Shaogul? Yeah. That's later, but yes. Right, so that would be uh, very far for these people to physically travel there. Right. Well, we know they got the shimmering, so... That's true. True, true. Yeah. Anywho. But but yeah, and you know... The the cold flames. Yeah, at first he has no idea where he is, and he comments, or at least thinks about, I don't even want to know where I am. Uh, He makes that, you know, that comment. Um, Of course, later we find out that that where they are, because... Uh, the right. mirror, the mirror, the fate says so, um, and and then you know he notices the servants, and the servants are all these beautiful people walking around, uh, but there's something strange about the servants. Um, yeah, pretty pretty creepy, like doll like eyes, just totally glassed over in mm-hmm. in Nana Land, right? Uh, but but the timing of the description of that, um, you know, you're talking about how the man who calls himself himself bores. Mm-hmm. he's sizing everything up and he's even trying to get a read on whoever's putting all this together. Right. Mm-hmm. And he starts to be judgy about like, Oh, well, you know, you're going to have to do something with the servants. Yeah. Kill the servants, uh, kill them, <laughs> something like that, yep. because they gossip like crazy. And as soon as he had that thought, he notices the eyes of the servant. And then he starts to get a little nervous about how every time he tries to find a weakness, um, you know the the dark one or whoever's running this, yeah, has already got that covered. Like he's like he's a couple steps ahead of him, and this guy clearly seems pretty savvy, mm-hmm. uh, but can't find a, a chink in the armor. Right. Yeah, and I think he even mentions that in his job, that's what his his specialty was was finding where weakness is and then exploding that weakness. And here he is in this in this new situation and. He can't find a weakness, so um, yeah, and, and he's yeah, he's definitely nervous about it. Um, he's able to pick at weaknesses of other people there, yeah. but not not in who's controlling the situation. Yeah, so that's got him a little off kilter. He makes that observation. He said, "If current masters, his master for the moment, had no weakness." Dot dot dot. Frowning behind the mask, he studies his companions, mm-hmm. like he's definitely worried that he's not going to find the opportunity to be rid of Beelzebub. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, he has, uh, his plan is more than just serving Beelzebub or the dark one or whatever. He's got, uh, he's got plans of maybe ruling himself. Sure. Agreed. Yeah, and at this point, he looks around the room like Chris was saying. And he starts, you know, trying to size up all these other people that are in there and trying to figure out, you know, who they are. And he realizes they're from all walks of life. There's there's lords and nobles, down to merchants, down to commoners. From and he recognizes 
different clothing styles from different parts of the world. So obviously they're from all over the place. Um, um, uh, you know, even says he notices the great serpent ring. So there's Aes Sedai here. He even says there's a tinker here, which he actually kind of comments like, what the hell's a tinker doing here? Yeah, they're um, not going to be any good. <laughs> and, and Shannarin, um, which is where Rand and Land, you know, they're they're up there in Faldar. Yeah, yeah, is there as well. So um, it's it's everywhere. Like it gives you a whole a big grasp that that, that these people are from every walk of life and everywhere. Right. So now let's go back to when Chris and I, mostly me, but Chris was getting there too, where we just started feeling during Eye of the World that you can't trust anybody and everybody's a dark friend. And you laughed at us and you said, ha ha, you think everyone's a dark friend. However, this pretty much shows that they're literally everywhere (laughs) and you don't know who it is. I mean, even getting in these first couple of chapters, now I'm wondering, is this a Shinerian guy, the person who gave the order or somehow influenced that or what? I mean, so like now I'm back, I, I started warming up to some of our other characters, but now I'm back to, okay. Uh, not only are they everywhere, but you have people that are high up in the different social systems where they're from, and you have people, you know, low down in those social systems. I mean, so everywhere you go, business owners, nobles, workers, whatever, they could be not only dark friends, but working directly for Biazumon. Mm-hmm. So, yes, everybody's a dark friend now. Trust no one. <laughs> Just back to trusting <laughs> no one at all. Again. Yeah. <laughs> And even I said I, so you know, of course you didn't trust exactly. them anyway. So. Especially I said I. Especially I said We we already heard of the Black Aja from the first book, though, so we already knew there was there was such a thing, or at least yeah. they, they, there was rumors of that from the first book. Um, yeah. So, Chris, your thoughts about all the different people in the room? Yeah, it's really been nice just listening to Ian take charge <laughs> on all that because he like nailed it all. I'm like the the imagery given is always a thing that I like to go to because I love how Boris went through and described each small little hint as to where people belonged, where their place in the world was. Um, hastily here, he said, high-necked gown leaving nothing but her hands uncovered yet clinging and over just barely opaque so that it hinted at everything and revealed nothing. Marked her just as clearly as the first bo- blood of Arid Domen. Arid Domen, yeah. Domen, yeah. So there's a new name. It's a, yeah, that, oh, it's on, it, that's on the map, if you look at the map, but yeah. Yeah, have we visited there yet? Though? No, we haven't been there. I'm hoping we end up getting there. Yeah, if you look at the map, all these places are on there. But yeah, we have not been there, no. But then you've got like another lady doubly foolish to draw attention to herself for her scarlet dress cut low in the bodice to show too much flesh and high at the hem to display golden slippers marked from marked her from Ilium and a woman of wealth, perhaps even of noble blood. Like it's really cool to go through and look at all the different descriptions of the different types of people mm-hmm. and for to listen to Boars really talk about it. He's like, even a tinker. He's like, man, things have really changed. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then it also brings out the point, you know, I was talking before where <laughs> the great Lord of the Dark, Bazelman, the shadow, the however we're addressing, 
the bad people. Uh, they are way more organized. Oh yeah, and way more informed. Uh, even though we'll see a little bit later, like they uh, they don't all know the task that they're given directly, but it, it seems like the person in charge that's leading them right now, Beazelman, is way more organized and over a long period of time has been planning this out. And then our heroes, our, um, you know, Edmund Fielders, they still don't really know what their role is going to be. No one's able to tell them. We believe that Moraine knows more, but she's not really filling them in. So our guys that are supposed to save the world, uh, are totally clueless and just stumbling along. And Beazelman has uh, a pretty good plan put together and clearly has been working on this for a while and is really detailed. And so it's, it's interesting to see the difference. Mm-hmm. And then some chime sound and two big Trollocs just come marching in, which scares the crap out of everyone. I mean, they're intimidating. They're Trollocs. The, I mean, these things look scary as I'll get out. I know, I know. By the end of the last book, Trollocs were like, "Nah," but you still gotta remember there's descriptions of them. They're they're these giant beast things that like rip you to pieces. Yeah. So they're still scary. Said, <laughs> head and shoulders taller than the tallest man there. There were a stomach turning blend of man and animal. Human faces twisted and altered. One of, had a heavy pointed beak where his mouth and nose should have been. The feathers covered his head instead of hair. The other walked on hooves. His face pushed out in a hairy muzzle and goat horns stuck up above his ears. That's pretty pretty cool. I mean, you can definitely get a sense of what these creatures look like. It always brings to me the question of, like, why are they personified the way they are? Like, why do they have so many human characteristics? Are they like a blend of human and something else, or what? What's going on? Yeah. And then after the trolls come in, a fade comes in right behind them and announces that your master comes. Tells everybody to get on the floor and grovel. You know, bellies to the floor, put your heads down. Um, and you know, I think it's Boars that hesitates for a little bit. I think he does. If, that's, if I remember correctly, but then immediately drops down once he sees. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The air I, so I thought it was also interesting that Boris has like contempt for the half men. Uh, and he's like, you, you just wait uh, until the new dreadlords are chosen and you're going to cower before them and you're going to cower before men. So the dreadlords, you know, are going to be chosen are going to be men, maybe from this group. Uh, so it's, has, it had me back and forth on whether like is, is Boris doing this because he's power hungry and you know maybe that's why he has contempt for the other people there and also you know the the fades the half men uh or is he like a sleeper cell and he's trying to get in there intentionally so he can i don't know save the world Mm -hmm. something still fight for the light I mean, we find out at the end who he is, so that might make sense also. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this point, the air shimmers, and he's actually terrified of this. Boris is actually terrified at this point, and Boyalzaman comes into the room and immediately tells everybody to rise. Um, <laughs> you know, get back on your feet, and introduces himself as Boyalzaman, tells them that they're in Shalgul, and, and, and 
you know, um, Thor's thinks it's, uh, you know, it's, it's terrified at this point because this is scary. <laughs> yeah, it, it can't be. That's what yeah. he keeps thinking yeah. to himself. There's yeah. no way. But but once uh, once he realizes that he's actually there, like everybody else, he's down on his knees, down on the floor, giving the whole spiel about Great Lord of the Dark is my master and yada, yada, yada. Sure. Everybody chanting together. Yep. So he he knows he knows the routine. Agreed. And um, yeah, and so soon, uh, you know. Then I think Osman's next line is that soon the will of time will be broken. The Great Lord will remake the world in his own image. So I think that's 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 where he's recanting. I think, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the will of time will be broken. The Great Lord will remake the world in his image. Um, so that's kind of the idea that the that the dark friends have is that they're going to be on the right side of all this, that the dark one's going to win. The wheel time's going to be broken and the, uh, the dark one's going to remake a whole universe and his image instead. So it's better to be on that side than, you know, the other side, because otherwise you're not coming back. Um, right. And, um, and it, suddenly Bosman starts to uh, images start to appear. And it's a, uh, it's a boy, um, you know, he starts to talk about, who they need to hunt. And the first description of this boy is obviously our good friend. Oh, I skipped over stuff. You guys can always go back. Yeah. You skipped <laughs> over a bunch of stuff. I was okay. listening and I'm like, eh, we're, we're definitely going to go back. This is my first opportunity. Go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I first like the description. I'll, I'll take you guys back. All right, let's go back. I like, the, <laughs> I like the description first and foremost of the forsaken. Because here we have the um, the Forsaken spoken about again, talking about the 13 of the most powerful wielders of the one power. And I guess there's not the realization that one is gone. Mm-hmm. Or two, excuse me. So we're two. now down to 11. So either that information is purposely omitted by Bialzaman to not show lack in strength, or he wasn't even con- as connected with his people as we are led to think he is. Yeah, it's like that stuck out to me. Mm. Um, and then, unless this is occurring prior to those two, which means like those two leaving, which means mm-hmm. this occurred before Rand went all Super Saiyan and yeah. and, and yeah. destroyed all sorts of stuff. So there's that too, because you know, time really isn't of the essence in this so- book. So we know it's after Perrin has yellow eyes, but it's before. But we don't know if it's before. That's, that, that, that's about all we know. Yeah, we don't know if it's before or after uh, Rand did his thing. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, but Boar is also described um, when he saw Beazelman, is it, uh the gesturing hands were horribly burned, crisscrossed by black fissures, the raw flesh between as red as the figure's robes. Uh, so this could be a Basilmon that survived the fight with Ran, and it's still kind of all jacked up. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> sure. Guess we'll find we out eventually. Yeah. You know, page five thousand of the book. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's that's when you find find it everything. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so like I said, to go back, to go, go back forward again. Um, and this is when he's creating the images of the boys. So he creates an image of Matt first, 
uh, and then an uh, image of Perrin and an image of Rand last. Well, before we go that far, I, I do have one more. Sure. Fear not, for the day of your master's rising upon the earth is near at hand. The day of return dawns nigh. Does it not tell you so that I am here to be seen by your favorite few amongst your brother and sisters? Soon the wheel of time will be broken. Soon the great serpent will die. And with the power of that death, the death of time itself, your master will remake the world in his own image for this age and for all ages to come. And those who serve me Faithful and steadfast will sit at my feet above the stars in the sky and rule the world of men forever. So I have promised, and so shall it be. Without end, you shall live and rule forever. Mm. So that really gets me thinking two things. First thought was, the Alzheimer's is different from like the true dark one. Mm -hmm. and then the second thing was you know after Ian made me uh, trek through the mud here I (laughs) think well maybe we really are in a dream sequence so now I'm a little like I thought it for a moment but I let it go and now I'm back to this idea of I have no idea what's going on so (laughs) thanks a lot Jordan you're such a (laughs) nice guy <laughs> sure. So, just something to think about. Like uh, that yeah. that statement bothered me a little bit. Yeah. And then we get to the voice. Right. No, that's a great statement, though. The the quote you gave out, um, and definitely shows the full intent of the of the um, of the shadow and of the dark one, and um. And the way he writes it, obviously, is, is from a religious background. That's very, sounds like religious text. Like, and so shall it be today and forevermore. Like, you know, that's very much right. a... Um, that says the Lord. Yeah, yeah. that says the Lord, uh, Domine. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, it, 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 I think it's intentionally uh, written that way to sound like this, this almost religious chant, but um, that everyone would probably know. Um, a little bit of Handel's Messiah thrown into the book. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get to the boys. Yeah. So we have the description of the three village boys, our farm boys. Um, yeah. Matt, Perrin, and Rand. And they, they appear in images in front of everybody, which is kind of uh, kind of cool or weird, interesting. Um, but everybody gets to see them. And um, they're all given a charge to hunt them down um, as an overall. Uh, the country lads. I mean, the one that really stuck out to Boar's, I really want to know what Boar's, like, relation to Rand is. Mm-hmm. Like, he really freaked out. He's like, a sword hung from the figure's belt, a sword with a bronze heron on the scarab, and another inset unto the long, two-handled hilt. A village boy with a heron-marked blade? Impossible. What can it mean? And a boy with yellow eyes. So he focused in on Rand and okay. on Perrin, mm-hmm. but Rand, the only, I mean, he really did go into the whole idea of his looks, but he gasped at the sword itself. I really want to yep. know more about the Dagon sword. Like, we have now skirted around the sword <laughs> for an entire book. 
<laughs> yeah. And this becomes a focal point of this badass, for lack of better description. Like Boris seems like the man to me. And we certainly yeah. we certainly find out that he is one of the men. But mm-hmm. anyway, let's continue. Sure. So yeah, and then everyone starts getting these individual instructions. Everybody kind of gets quiet and Bos- he notices Bosman's gone. But then he notices people one by one starting to have these really, really crazy reactions. Like uh, I think it's one woman all of a sudden shock hits her face and then she lifts off the ground in total fear, you know, crying and begging for mercy and then nodding her head yes and realizes that they're all, you know, kind of waiting their turn to get um, individual orders, which is kind of an interesting way to put it. So no one knows the master plan. Everyone gets their, you know, no one knows every, what everybody else's message was. So, um, this is definitely a way of creating uh, control um, over a group. Um, uh, it, it's it, Ian probably could talk to this more more than I can, but um, it's a, a tactic that is used sometimes to uh, one weed out um, where they have moles and things like that. Because if you told one person one piece of information and another person found out, you'd know that it had to come from that one guy. Those kind of things. There's lots of reasons to do this. But. Yeah, it, and it takes a kind of a strategic guru or genius. That's that's why I go back to how well planned all of this is because it's when you're working like that. Yeah, it's it's easier to uh, know if you have issues or a mole or something like that. You can you can backtrace it a little bit better. Uh, but also, and I guess it's more specific to this crowd because of why they're there. Um, you know, you're you're playing on their own motives. They're already a little bit distrustful of each other, mm-hmm. uh, and they're motivated to outdo one another. Um, and also, you know, in 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 Bohr's assessment earlier, you get this idea that they would be okay with the others failing, so that it would make themselves look better. So maybe right. he's also doing that to protect the mission because, you know, if someone like Boars knew the mission of four other people, he could intentionally try and sabotage theirs to make Third. him look better. Right. Sort of thing. Yeah. So there's, there's probably all sorts of reasons for him doing that, but it is pretty, I don't know. I thought this was one of the coolest parts of this prologue. Mm. Um, and especially it, it's a blow to somebody like Boars who's trying to find out as much information as he can and make his own assessment, but like he can't, <laughs> right? You know, uh, he does a pretty good job of assessing the situation, but he can't really get a read on Biazman. Oh, yeah. True, yeah, yeah. All he really does know is is the simple fact that already a bend is forming in the pattern, which is Biazman's main focus. He said mm-hmm. one of the many points where he who will become the dragon may be turned to my service must be turned better that he serves me alive than dead but alive or dead serve me he must and will these three you must know for each is a thread in the pattern i mean to weave and it will be up to you to see that they are placed as i command study them that you will know them so like they have the same overall agenda so they've got their vision in place it's just that each is given a different part of the mission that falls into alignment with what we have um that Bialzaman wants essentially mm-hmm. but yeah 
like how can you really get that alignment without knowing what everybody else is doing unless it's established in a way to keep you underneath him so everybody's still slightly oppressed sure yeah yep. yeah so then we get to the message that's delivered so boris gets his message um uh, balsamon's face appears in front of him like just in midair and the first question he gets is are you faithful um and you know he immediately well and he, he even says uh, he says are you faithful Boars and says the name almost mockingly because Bialzaman knows that's not his real name. That's right. just the name he's using. That's why he keeps saying the man who calls himself Boars. Mm-hmm. So Bialzaman in in the first question to him is already revealing to the man who calls himself Boars, like, "Hey, I know you, uh, and and I know this charade you're trying to put up for everybody else, but I see right through it." Right. Yeah, and then calls him out, you know, asking him, um, oh no, he's, Bor says, I am faithful, I swear it. And he says, no, you cannot. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, yeah. is that is that him challenging him, like rise to the challenge to serve me? Or is it, does Beazelman know that Bors isn't truly faithful to him? But he's still using them because he can help them, you know, as a means to an end. Like, there you go. I'm right there with you on that one. Like, he realizes Boris has a lot of pull in his position with his other group, mm-hmm. which we'll find out in a few pages. Are the white great? Right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, he has to have Boris still keep up the appearance of and maintain the white cloaks so that he can use them at his um, disposal. Yep. Right. So Beazaman is just one gigantic manipulative sum of a somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the next part of his his um, message, our, 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 our quest, our, not our quest, but, but uh, mission, um, is it tells him to go back to Terabon, uh, which is another area um, on the map, and says, so continue your work, the same thing you were doing before. Just go there, just watch the three boys. They are dangerous. You might see them there. Just watch for them. Uh, and it says something about some people have landed on Toman Head, and then it, it doesn't, it kind of cuts off. Instructions are left out about that. He doesn't remember because images start flashing rapidly in his head. Um, uh, he gets a bunch of images at once, and he doesn't really, he can't compute what they all mean. He can't even think of himself. And I think he even has a line that some commands are too important uh, for even those who carry them are supposed to carry them out. Um, so it's an interesting way of doing this. Like, so you see a bunch of images. So like when you see it, you'll know that that's what you're supposed to do, but you have no idea what it means until you see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Makes sense. So you can't go blabbing what you're supposed to do. So you don't even know what you're supposed to do, but when you see it, you'll know it. Like, if that makes sense, like, so uh, and, and the way they're like overloaded with this, it's like he's just planting these seeds of suggestion. So, like you said, when they get in that situation or around those people or whatever, they'll know how to act. But if you were to like interrogate any one of these people afterwards, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you anything what all yeah. they saw or what all they were told. <laughs> like it's really, it's pretty twisted, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
this would be the perfect way to actually get like a Black Ops team together because if they got captured behind enemy lines, like they would actually literally not be able to break them because they would not even know what their mission meant. <laughs> like, right. there like, you go. It's like, it's like I, I don't know. Uh, I was supposed to go here, and when I saw it, I know what I was supposed to do. Like, hmm. I'm pro, but that's it. Uh, that's all I know. So, assuming uh, I'm going back to my thing that this is all, you know, a dream sequence that all these people are at, and Balzaman's able to communicate with him directly and get him in this room together. They probably all had the same first dream that the boys did, and all of these fuckers drank from the goblet. Hmm. And hmm. and that was that was their invitation to join the club. Ooh, the drink the drink invitation. Yeah. It's not a bad invitation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> By the way, in the fandom, this is often called the Dark Friend Social. Um <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what everybody calls it. Um yeah. It's the Dark Friend Social. That's about right. Um so yeah, so you know, he gets all these commands and he can't remember all the instructions, but uh, one thing I thought was interesting is he nicknames um, Perrin, Rand, and Matt as the blacksmith, the swordsman, and the trickster. So what did what did he pull off of seeing Matt that made him think trickster? I mean, I know the description of Perrin, the broad shoulders and whatnot, and then the swordsman. Hello, he's got the sword that stood out to him. Yeah, it says... The air to Biazamaz left shimmered and thickened, and the figure of a young man hung there a little lower than Biazamaz. So this is talking about the first boy. A man who called himself Boris could not decide whether it was a living being or not. A country lad by his clothes with a light of mischief in his brown eyes and the hint of a smile on his lips. So we know that's Matt. Okay. So he just got a feeling mm-hmm. that he had this light of mischief, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. there's the answer. Interesting yeah. enough. Yeah. So any thoughts about all that? I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but let's talk about this whole mission statement. What's your guys' thoughts? Uh, there's people that have landed on Tumut Head. What does that mean? Question mark. Um, you know, what, what's, what was your thoughts about all this interaction? Well, I mean, it just goes back to the the point I made earlier about how organized they are with this. And it, as I'm reading this, like I'm impressed, a little bit uh, scared, not for me, but you know, for our our heroes of the story, as they as they go out and about anywhere they go now, they're going to be run into these folks. Uh, but then also, again, disappointed in um, those people that are supposed to be, you know, fighting for the light. If you look at the different factions. Uh, the white cloaks, the the Aes Sedai, the everybody, they're just they're either totally separated, not working together, or they might even be fighting amongst themselves. Nobody trusts anybody, so there there isn't a good coordinated effort for the side of light. And the, the more I read this, just the more disappointed I am in that. But over a long period of time, like if Beazaman, if the you know, if they've been gaming this for so long that was part of their plan to cause dissent and dissension and get these factions not working together and this could have been put in place over thousands of years I keep going back to just looking at the way things are written and just wondering where we're headed Um, what really got me was like that that last statement on the uh, prologue 
where it's like, for that much power, I would praise the great Lord of the dark under the dome of truth. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's the dome of truth? Is that to do with huh? the white cloaks? Possibly. Because here we have flaring sun worked on his breast of the white cloak and the red shepherd's crook behind the sun, symbol of his office in the world of men. And he almost laughed. There was work, great work to be done in Tarban and on Almonth Plain. Like, this guy is one of the highest up in the White Cloaks. Mm -hmm. He's talking about there being a differentiation between where he was and where he wants to be. Like, he calls it the world of men. So it's like, what other worlds are there then? I mean, so the children. It's just a figure of speech. The children of the light are the white cloaks. They call themselves the children of the light. That's what they call themselves. White cloaks, the derogatory term for them, are the religious zealots that do anything they can to hunt down and kill dark friends and think everyone's a dark friend. And here you have the end. That's what's the gravity of this is at the end of this chapter, you learned that from the first book is, um, you know, they're zealots. And now you get to the end of this meeting. And the guy puts his white cloak uniform on. It's um, like there's nowhere that's safe. It's basically, I think, what they're trying to get at. Um, but you look at his instructions from Basilmon, and it was um, return to Terabon and continue your good, and good is italicized, your good right. works. In fact, I command you to redouble your efforts. Mm-hmm. Don't, um, rise, don't rise in suspicion. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And redoubling your efforts, like, I mean, so he gains trust and favor within the white cloaks and rises to even higher prominence? Or is it to like what I said earlier by encouraging him to do that? And maybe Bazelman is encouraging the Aes Sedai or other factions to act a different way. He can continue to keep these factions from working together. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, the whole divide and conquer sort of thing. Yeah. Sounds pretty nifty. Pretty crazy. <laughs> and that comes to the end of this chapter. I mean, the, the prologue ends with, you know, figuring out he's a white cloak and that, it, you know, end scene. So, um, any thoughts or any final thing before uh, we move on to chapter one? Um, I mean, it's, it, this was kind of the, the bulk of probably this episode is the prologue. I mean, this is, like I said, it's, it's one of the greatest, I think, prologues in the whole series. Um, just because you realize the the depth of really what we're getting into. Yeah, I just think the biggest question, and we, we probably know the answer, that Beelzeman is still alive, that Rand didn't totally destroy him. But I, I still kind of question a little bit, is this supposed to occur before Rand finally diced him up? Mm. Or is this occurring just after? <laughs> and if after and Beelzeman is still in the mix that sucks all right so chapter one of the great hunt the flame of tarvalon and we have a little time symbol again thoughts about the chapter title more than Uh, i'll just say it still caught me off guard i i assumed okay right off the bat we're making our trip to tarvalon um but that in fact did not happen it was the opposite. Tarvalon traveled 
to us. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You get a little ahead of yourself, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get a little far into there, but yeah. So, what about you, Chris? Uh, you know, I had the same thought of us traveling, and we were not traveling. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Good deal. So, we'll go right into the chapter. Um, so, as always, I, I, I don't know if you guys got, got a theme now, because if you remember mm-hmm. back to the very first book, um, the very first first chapter of the first book um, had a very similar paragraph. So, um, I think... The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend and fade to myth and are long forgotten when the age comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountain of doom. The wind was not the beginning. There was neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Sounds familiar. I read read a book once that had something very, I think Jordan stole this from somebody else because it's, I read it once before. I think last time the wind rose from the mountains of mist. Now the wind's a little darker uh, coming, you know, from the mountains of doom. But, uh, but yeah, very, very similar openings Um, and, and, and might be a little spoiler, but we might see this again. Maybe H book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it'd be kind of weird if he did it for like three books and then he was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do it again. Let's take a break. <laughs> then on the fourth yeah. book, you're going to be like, what? What happened there? As, as far as Wheel of Time goes, it's probably one of the most iconic, like uh, uh, just, just that opening paragraph in each book. Um, that, that, yeah, it's very much iconic, very much sums up just the depth or the Wheel of Time and how things work, which is really interesting. So I was, I was listening the other day, so I'm not sure if Lord of the Rings, the movie barred from will of time for, whereas obviously will of time barred from, from as a book barred from Lord of the Rings. And I'm not sure if Lord of the Rings had similar, similar language as this, but in the movie, and I might be wrong, but in the movie, it actually almost says the same thing in the very first line of the fellowship of the ring where, it says, um, you know, legends fade to myth and myth becomes, you know, or, or, you know, or memories right. fade, fade to myth. Yeah, it, it says the, almost the exact same thing in the movie. Yeah, and I don't think that I, was in the books. I, I don't think it was in the books. And, I, and, and there's, a, there's been speculation that the, 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 I guess the people, the writers of the movie bar from the time as, as a nod back, you know, where, where it's Tolkien, or whereas Jordan was definitely nodded to Tolkien, the movie's nodded back to Jordan, which I just, it's kind of cool. Um, it's pretty cool if it's true. Yeah. Yeah, if it's true. Uh, I don't know if there's any work to, 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 to prove it. To claim it. Prove it. But <laughs> it's definitely very similar in the, in the books, whereas I don't think in the, in the movie, whereas I don't think in the books that, that those, those lines exist. Um, but yeah, kind of cool. But yeah, so moving forward to the chapter, um, it starts with Ran and Lan uh, practicing sword forms. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're, uh, and this is right where we left off. So if you remember uh, at the end of Eye of the World, they were on top of this tower. They were talking to each other. Um, and we're right back there again on top of this tower. So it's literally right where we left off last book. <clears throat> back there again. Well, about, and, a, about a month ahead, but same place. Sure, same place. And they're, they're, they're practicing sword forms. Um, and 
one thing that, that you'll get into as well, um, and I think you might have caught this from this. This is the first time you'll see this. I think I don't know if either world really got into that much, but the way that Robert Jordan writes sword forms is he just names them. He doesn't explain them at all. So it's left up to the reader to imagine them based on 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 the way he, you know, uh, on the phrase, like, you know, the, the, yeah. I think the heron waits in the rush and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the brush or whatever, something like that. <clears throat> and, um, it, you know, it has all these different names for sword forms and, and you'll get tons of them throughout the books, but just very, very cool. Just allows you just to, you can kind of visualize what their, what that sword form is, but, it doesn't actually. It doesn't. It doesn't say like he rose the sword on his head and slashed down at a ninety degree angle or forty five degree. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't explain right. it that way. It just says you know went to this form and that form. Um, but yeah, so they're working sword forms. Rands were really working on the void and the flame, trying to focus a whole lot. Um, and, and Rands just explained how much he sucks compared to Land. I mean, he's keeping up, but not really. Uh, he hasn't really done much to Land at all. Land's just kind of really beating his ass with swords, <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, you know I mean, he was given to him. It hadn't been a full. It's just barely a month that he's training, and he's able to keep up with him. That says a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like, this is a lot to his nature. Sure, being that he's from a warring tribe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, Rand's trying to you know keep up with them. He gets slightly distracted. Um, and all of a sudden, the wind traps Rand. Well, yeah, right? It's yeah. It's kind of funny because it said emptiness came, as was too often the case of late. So it's like, yeah, he finally found the peace, but it was a little too late. And then all of a sudden, the wind rose again, bringing the ringing of bells from the town. Somebody still celebrating that spring has finally come. And the uh, extraneous thought fluttered through the void of waves like light disturbing the emptiness as if the water could read Rand's mind, the practice word world in a land's hand. He said for a long minute, the swift clank, clank, clank of bundling lashes meeting filled the tower top. Rand made no effort to reach the other man. It was all he could do to keep the water strikes from reaching him, turning land's blows at the last possible moment. He was forced back. Land's expression never changed. Practice source seemed alive in his hands. Abruptly, the water swing slashed, changing in mid-motion to a thrust caught by surprise. Rand stepped back, already wincing with the blow he knew was... I'm sorry. Cannot find where I want to go with this. Just read the whole first chapter to us. That could be be your episode. (laughs) Well, I'm saying, like, I love the whole thing. Like, the whole battle scene is what it it keeps pulling me in. It's like the part with the wind is where I'm trying to get to. I'm like, I probably should have started at a different spot. Sorry, you guys. You're good because, in my opinion, this sequence here is the only thing worth talking about in the first two chapters. (laughs) So spend as much time here as you want. (laughs) (laughs) He said the wind howled across the tower and trapped him. That's where I wanted to be. It was as if the air had suddenly gelled, howling him into a cocoon. Holding him into a cocoon. I wish I could read today. Pushing him forward, time and motion slowed, horrified. He watched Land's practice sword shrift 
down towards his chest. So there's the part, like, literally, the wind itself was acting against him. And then time slowed itself so he could see the sword coming and there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. Mm -hmm. And then Lan just kind of was like, what the heck are you doing, kid? And Rand's like, it wasn't me. It was the wind. It pushed me. It was a solid wall. Right. I mean, the the question I had reading this, is this again... um, you know, the end of the last book, it seemed obvious that the power was, I don't know, kind of pushing Rand. Like, Rand was very reluctant. Um, and, and it's almost like he was along for the ride. I mean, is this more evidence of that? The the one power, like, whether he wants to or not, just seeping through and channeling through Rand? Or, mm-hmm. like, Rand, you know, he talks later on, you know, was this somebody else that did this to him? Right, um, but it first reading it, I you know I got the vibe that Rand's kind of screwed. No matter what he does, and no matter how normal he tries to be, the the power is going to try and creep up through him. Well, I'm wondering if this is like the jealousy of the taint. <laughs> <laughs> like Rand was able to to channel the pure power, and so he was kind of touched or blessed by the the pure side of the male power. And now maybe like the taint's trying to get its payback on him. I know this is yeah. far fetched, but I'm like, right. you know, mm-hmm. that's what I would do if I was some evil darkness, and I knew I could control him dead or alive. I'm gonna try to kill him that way. I can go ahead and take hold of him while he's mm-hmm. dead. Just make my life yeah. easier. Or maybe the power is screwing with him. Like, why are you even wasting your time with an actual sword? You don't need that. This is one of those moments, like. Are you telling me I can dodge bullets? <laughs> no. <laughs> when when you're ready, I'm telling you you won't have to. You know. <laughs> Power's like you don't need a sword. Just stand there, and you know their their weapons will just explode trying to cut you. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, and you know, Rand explains what happened to the wind. Land doesn't. Land's a little surprised, but then immediately stoic wise just says, you know, strange, strange things. things can happen this close to the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, keep it <laughs> um, And then he kind of turns and says, well, you know, how long before you leave? It's been a, it's been a month. You know, you said you're going to leave, you know, but, you know, when are you going to leave? And, uh, it, and, you know, Rand kind of can't give him a really straight answer. He's Start saying, you know, all about this and that and friends and uh, can't figure out where he's going to go. And, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of stalling. Rand is obviously. Um, and then he gets a little bit more into uh, the, the sword, you know, um, uh, Lynn, you know, but they start about the hair marked blade and, uh, you know, Rand obviously wants to make his father, Tam proud. Um, and, and wants to, at least honor him by learning the sword. Yeah. Yep. And Lan kind of goes into a little bit more about, you know, what it takes to become a blade master, a little bit about Rand's sword and how special Rand's sword actually is. Yeah, he said, Tam didn't tell you then. He must know. Perhaps he didn't believe. Many do not. He snatched his own sword, almost the twin of Rand's, except before it lacked the herons, and whipped off the scarab. 
the blade slightly curved and single edge glittered silverly in the moon sunlight. It was the sword of the kings of Malkir. Lane did not speak of it. He did not even like others to speak of it. But Alan Mandragor was lord of the seven towers, lord of the lakes, and uncrowned king of Malkir. The seven towers were broken now, and the thousand lakes the lair of unclean things. Malkir lay swollen by the great blight, and of all the Malkir lords, only one still lived. So he kind of gave just the importance of this type of blade and how it was made in general. But then he's just like, you know, your sword is even greater than mine, and mine is the sword of a king, and you're basically just a shepherd boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't even look at it from that perspective, but when he, when he starts to tell about it, he shows his sword and, like, who it belongs to, and it's a pretty big deal, but his doesn't even carry the heron mark. And he talks yeah. about how there's some heron mark uh, blades that were not uh, made by the Aes Sedai. Uh, yeah. And while he didn't specifically say that this one was, he did mention that this sword could tell the tale of like a thousand years or something like that. Or three thousand years. Yeah. Three thousand years. So definitely it's of the time frame of the ones that would have been built mm-hmm. um, by the Aes Sedai. And Aes Sedai can't make blades anymore, he says. They've lost that talent, so right. it's super, super rare. rare. Yeah, because it can't even be done anymore. Like, so if you have one, it, these things can't be made. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> all right. So, and whenever we start talking about the sword and how awesome it is, like before, I was like, "Well, who the f is Tam, and how did he get this sword?" Like flipping out, right? Well, then I started thinking about that. This this was never meant to be Tam's sword, and it was never Tam's sword. Uh, and this is why I think that. Right, Tam got injured. Well, did travel back in time, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, But go all the way back. uh, Rand's first encounter with the Trollocs, and Tam has Rand run out the back. Uh, If Tam was this fantastic swordsman, and this was his blade that was built, put together by the Aes Sedai he should have been able to dice up those Trollocs no problem. Like, without even... I don't, like, think of it, if that was Lan there, would Lan have issue fighting off 10 Trollocs, however many it was? Probably not. He'd have diced them up, no big deal, because there was no fade there at the time. So the fact that Lan, yeah, he was kind of able to fight them off, obviously didn't kill them all, got injured in the battle... Like, I'm thinking less and less that this was ever Tam's sword. Uh, he probably acquired it at the same time where he scooped up Rand, and this sword was always meant to be Rand's. So it comes from, I'm thinking, Rand's lineage, heritage, uh, hmm. on his mom's side. Okay. So I'm right there with you. Interesting. I'm 100% with you because we do know that Rand is connected to the dragon, and yeah. he may definitely be the dragon reborn, and this may be the same sword held by the original dragon. So there's yeah. my theory for this, 
my yeah, first I mean, theory of the book. <laughs> passed down and passed down and passed down, and it was always meant to be Rand's, and it was never Tam's. He was just holding it for him until he came of age or until he needed it. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, at this, after the whole sword talk, Land then goes back and asks him, says, well, why are you still here? And Rand says, well, Matt and Perrin, and, you know, starts and going a little, about his a little Egwene. And then Land's, yeah. like, changes the conversation, says, uh, you know, to Egwene, uh, and Rand, you know, thinks, uh, you know, thinks he, he would not bring her with him, even if she asked. Like, um, yeah, he, he definitely feels for her. He's definitely all about her, but he's trying to get away from everyone at this point. He's worried that he's going to go. He's going to go mad and kill the people he loves. And he's heard the stories and just wants to get away from everybody. But then he doesn't want to leave. <laughs> but yeah, at the same time, he doesn't want to leave. I mean, I think he's torn. I think you, yeah, uh, he's going through a tough time. <laughs> yeah, but even Lan, even Lan reads through all that. It's like you know, so that's that's the only reason. That's it. And because yeah. he knew there was more bothering him uh, and he's been watching him for a month now. So he's probably heard him grumble or whatnot about this. But then Rand comes out and says, all right, it's Moraine. That's what's really effing pissing me off. Like she right. got us to this point, uh, saw what I did back there and then nothing. She won't even talk to me. She won't tell mm-hmm. me anything. And it's it's kind of the same frustration I have. And I keep mentioning it. Moraine at least knows more about what's going on and just doesn't freaking tell anybody and it's very frustrating mm-hmm. yeah she's completely ignored him and she's been leaving and coming back I want to know where she's going mm-hmm. so at this point Lance like okay well let's, let's go back to sword forms they start talking about forms again um, you know I think uh, they've mentioned one that you know don't ever use this one to more of a stance more practice um, which you'll find that a lot in a lot of martial arts for that there are certain stances that you never use actually in fighting but you use for sheer practice of of balance because um, it's it's an unbalanced stance but the fact of the matter is if you can balance in that stance then you can probably balance when you're actually in a fighting stance so <laughs> but but you'll never use it in fighting because it's a horrible stance like um, um, I, I remember yeah. when I, I mean I remember when I was a kid, um, I, I took, um, it wasn't karate. I think it was Taekwondo, but, um, um, one of the martial arts things is as a, as a young kid, like elementary school level. And I remember that was a big thing that kept on going through is go through the stances, go through the stances. And we had to always just get, but some stances were really off balance stances. Um, you were able to take down really easily. Um, of course I could have just been a kid, but I just pictured that whole thing where it's it just to train more than anything else, not for actual physical fighting. Yes, yeah, see, I got hopeful that this was a nod uh, probably all the way to the end of the books. Uh, he <laughs> says, remember that the heron form is only for practicing balance. Anywhere but doing forms, it leaves you wide open. You can strike home from it if you wait for the other man to move first, but you'll never avoid his blade. Um, and, and we know how Jordan is about the foreshadowing, and it, you even mentioned sometimes the foreshadowing might not even come to fruition until you know, six, seven, eight books later. But uh, I I can imagine now Rand in this great final battle of sorts with the great dark Lord or with somebody, you know, uh, pretty significant. And it's just uh, a stalemate. No one can really land um, the defeating blow, right? The winning Mm -hmm. blow. And he switches to the Heron stance 
and allows his enemy to strike him, but in doing so is able to line, uh, land that final blow. And maybe maybe Rand also dies, or at least gets like really freaking wounded. But I don't know. I probably read into that too much. But why else mention that you can strike home from it, but you're you're definitely going to get cut also. Yeah, I mean Jordan you know? Jordan, Jordan loves to foreshadow. Um, yeah, so definitely with uh with 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 foreshadowing, we'll see as books go on. But that's definitely a good point, Ian. And then as they're moving through these sword forms again you hear the trumpets go off and the drums and the big procession coming off in the distance. And it's kind of a big fanfare. And um, they look over the, the walls and they see, you know, a large, of yeah, um, a large procession coming in. Yeah. And the banner is flapping and he sees the banner. It's the flame of, of Tarvalon. All right. So after the reading, the prologue of this chapter, uh, <laughs> Right when it says Ingtar's with them, uh, I immediately thought he was a dark friend. And here's why. No, um, not Ingtar. Or that, that he could be. So yeah. I, I, I'm, I, as I'm reading, like I still have the prologue on my mind, and then I'm reading this chapter, and I'm starting to think, well, like, how can you pick out who, who might be desperate enough to, to do this, to be one of these ultimate dark friends, right? So you got to start looking for characters that feel like disenfranchised somehow or have been pushed aside or missed opportunities or like they've been passed over. And at the end of Eye of the World, Ingtar got shafted multiple times. You know, he didn't get to go into this great battle. And I, I don't know. So I'm not saying he is, but like now you have to start looking what characters might feel slighted and be looking for better opportunity. And he's definitely yeah. one of them. So you got to, you got to, okay. you got to look out for him now. Sure. Um, so yeah. So uh, he realizes the group of Aes Sedai as well, and the, per- and the and how big a group of Aes Sedai it is, and it's making Rand extremely nervous. Um, and he, he even asks, like, why are there so many Aes Sedai? Like, this is a lot. And Lang kind of reacts, like, well, it's the Amblin seat. She's coming in person. And the chapter ends with Lan telling him that, um, you know, it'd be better if you were weeks gone by now. Uh, and ran freaking out. Like, it's not good you're here, man. Like, <laughs> you should have yeah. left a long time ago. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you really got to read into the Stoics if, if you're trying to um, get any kind of emotion off of them. Uh, and, you know, Lan looked like a rock, but... Uh, how do you say the Amlin seats come in person land looked at him his expression is hard and unreadable as a rock but then he just cuts off what they were doing he was like your lessons are done sheep herder so mm-hmm. he's not showing apprehension but um you know obviously this is part of their routine they've been going through and this is a significant event that he's like all right we're done here and you probably should have left a while ago yeah. <laughs> so that so this is Land getting. I don't know. I don't think Land's nervous for himself, obviously. Um, but I I, I think he's a little apprehensive, nervous for Rand. Yeah. And then we get to the end. You get to the end. So, any thoughts or final thoughts about this chapter? I know it's a it's a shorter one than the last one we covered, but um, I mean there are some things that happened. I mean I think that this interaction with Land's a good one. Um. We we learn a lot. I think there's a lot of building here, a lot of little small things, uh, you know, sprinkled in. 
I still think Land's the man. He's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris? I started I started questioning it. We're probably not going to answer this, but I was thinking to myself, okay, if Rand is truly the Dragon Reborn, and, and if he has the ability now to channel the power without the taint, um, could this whole procession of female Aes Sedai even stop him? Like, if he truly used the power, like, if they try to stop him, could he overpower all of them? I mean, he's not a false dragon. He's yeah. not going crazy yet if he has the ability to channel this non-tainted power. So, I don't know. Yeah. I think he should have just jumped out in the street and been like, let's let's go, ladies. Wild card bitches. Wild card bitches, yeah. <laughs> pull a mat and just be like, whoop. Chris, any thoughts for you? No, Ian's on top of things tonight. Okay. I literally can just sit back and coast and enjoy. All right. <laughs> so we'll move right on to chapter two, which is the welcome. And we actually have this symbol, which we saw a bunch of times last book, but we never, we, we didn't find out what it was till the very end. So it's the first time seeing it since we know what this is. Is the power. The power. It's the flame. The flame of Tarval. But, uh, Tarvalon. Um, so yeah, the t- the flame of Tarvalon, um, and the welcome, which I think is pretty much you know we just said the self-explanatory. Yeah. The ambulance seat is coming. So yeah, so, yeah. So we move right into the chapter. Coming. They're pretty much here. Like oh, they, they just yeah. they're at the front gates. Sure. <laughs> sure. Any thoughts from you, Ian? Or... Uh, Chris, you better have some deep ones for this chapter because this, <laughs> no. this is one of those chapters that, uh, you know, we had a couple in the Eye of the World that I didn't get too much out of. It was entertaining, some of the interaction, the as stuff I with his clothes. As I sat and read it, I was like, Ian and I are going to be on the same page. This was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. there, there were some neat trinkets that came out of here. The, the, the clothes <laughs> portion... Yeah, well, yes, we got a couple but, of like peeks into something awesome with that, but sure. otherwise, like, no, not too much here. No, and then ran freaking out. So we've pretty much just summarized the chapter. Yeah, so. well, <laughs> we can still do our all thing through it. Come on, guys. Yeah. So, uh, so, so it starts out with Rand running through through uh, towards his room. Uh, he's trying to get back as fast as possible, uh, and people are excited. Um, you know that the that the everyone's seat is here. Um, you know, it's it's a big fanfare. Obviously, these people um, uh, really respect the eyes to the eye. He found that out from the last book, but they're yeah. super excited that that Alman Seed herself is here. Um, which, <laughs> um, which we've we've gathered that's the head of the entire eyes to the eye. Um, yeah, and and they're excited for Rand. They're like, oh man, you must you must be so excited. You you got to go get cleaned up because clearly she's going to want to talk to you guys. And Rand's <laughs> yeah. like, uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super excited. <laughs> exactly. Let's not skip over this. Since the chapter itself was boring, there were the interactions that were really nice. Yeah. Like, uh, what is her name? E L A N S U. Alansu? Alansu, yeah. Like, so Alansu was Elansu. Elansu. Either way. Yeah. I love the whole interaction of like, 
you know, Rand's afraid his life is in jeopardy, and then he's too shy to take his clothes off in front of the group of women. Yeah. I would have played this a little bit better. I'm like, well, you, you guys, you make me shy. And since you want me to take my clothes off, <laughs> let's make this oh. a little more interesting. No kidding. A little quid pro quo. Yeah, yeah. why not? You know, interesting. I, you, you want my shirt? I want yours too. <laughs> So I think the interaction that Rand is having is really interesting because though his life is in jeopardy, we're getting his age still. Here he is showing his shyness around the ladies. And, you know, it's a big culture shock because he mentioned how in the pools, you know, you might be sitting there, but everybody becomes equal status and you might literally be washing the queen's back. So... Or the ladies back, excuse me. Right. So it's it's pretty interesting. I, I think that kind of is a nod to us as readers to say, hey, you've traveled this long journey, but it's really been a short period of time. And though our characters are slowly maturing and gaining in importance, let's show the human side of them as well. Sure. So, yeah, it's really nice to go back in time a little bit. Sure. I think it's funny that uh, all the ladies know that he's bashful like this. <laughs> and so they, they mess with him a little bit to intentionally get him to blush. Right. And it's, it's, like like a, it's like a game they have. They're not really trying to like hit on him, but they're, they like messing with him. I mean, it's like, it's their culture too. So it's, and, and obviously like Ian was saying, they probably go a little more extreme than normal just because they get to rise out of them. Like, um, yeah, they're messing I mean, with him. You would think of like someone like, um, I don't know, um, Amish or a Mennonite person that lived in a village their entire lives, and then comes out to the, you know, to the general world. Um, whether it's uh, Rumspringer or something like that, uh, you know, they would definitely, um, um, you know, be taken back by some of the, you know, the customs. Uh, now this is too extreme. You know, they take baths together, men and women, and uh, this yeah. is a very. Open. It would, th- it would throw you off a little bit. Yeah, I think open. the term is ethical relativism. Yes. Can't be too judgy. Yeah, it's a different <laughs> culture. Um, you find that in different parts of the world. I mean, you go to Southeast Asia, there's a lot of things they do there that are very, very strange. And for a Westerner, you kind of are taken back by some things, but you kind of learn that that's, yeah, it's their culture. Anyway, moving on. So, um, yeah, he gets to his room, and there's a bunch of women there. Um, like you said, the, the head of the keep, uh, the mistress of the keep or whatever, and they are replacing all his clothes. Um, and it says Moraine has ordered all his old clothes, even the clothes you're wearing, to be replaced. So thoughts. <laughs> Burn me. She's trying to get me killed. Bloody Moraine won't even talk to me, but now she's giving me bloody fly new clothes to die in. <laughs> <laughs> A dozen high-collared coats of the finest wool and as well-cut as any he had seen on a merchant's back or a lord's most embroidered-like feast day clothes. A dozen. I'm like, I'm confused Mm -hmm. because I know she wanted to get rid of them, but now she's had, or maybe she just asked for a new suit to be made and these women decided to make him multiple suits. But like, no, why? that would have to be it would have to be on her direction. I mean, remember where we're at and what their job is out there. I don't I don't think even uh Lord Algorithm 
has a giant expansive wardrobe of 50 bazillion things. They're more focused on the practical, the weaponry, their survival. Um, At least to me, it doesn't seem like these are a group of people that go over the top like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is Moraine's orders. Um, And so many. Like that doesn't fit Moraine at all. So it's like, yeah, I I don't know. But what, what makes it even more more crazy is what, what gets ran is that the collars are marked with herons and some of them are even with dragons. And that freaks them out a whole lot. Like that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. look at you guys bringing all of this attention to me and I just want to be left alone. Yeah. It's like, I hope no one saw this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want anybody yeah. else to know. Hell, I don't even want to know. I'd like to be able to forget about it. Like, that was the whole point of me leaving is so I can escape this, not embrace it. Yeah. So he's terrified to even wear these things. So he just begins packing stuff hastily and starts just throwing a few. You can't take the whole wardrobe, obviously, because it's now gigantic. But you know, starts throwing some pieces into into some uh, into some bags, and saddle bags, because um, he's yeah, he's going to try to relieve. Um, and then we have this little sentimental moment where he grabs Tom's bundle as well. Oh, and he remembers yeah. he, he was Tom and his death. He's not dead, but he can continue. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you guys I can't, I can't wait until he's able to give that back to Tom. Turned, the Gleeman's cloak book, turned book inside six. out to hide the hundreds of patches that covered it. Patches in every size and color imaginable. The cloak itself was sound enough. The patches were a Gleeman's badge. Had been a Gleeman's badge. So I'm thinking... That by episode thirty three we'll have Tom back. Episode he's 33. coming. Okay, he's coming. I can go look and see where we are and see whether or not Tom's never coming back. So you know, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that, that gives sure. us nine sure. nine recordings. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, let's see. So yeah, for Van sneaks out of the apartments. Uh, he walks. He, Tries to decide which way to take. There's a fast route, the long route. Decides to go ahead and go with the fast route, which takes him right through where the welcome party is coming through, and walks right into the welcome ceremony. Um, there can't be there can't be anything dangerous in just looking from a distance. <laughs> I'll keep moving and be gone before she even knows I was there. Does he not remember falling <laughs> over the wall, taking a look at Logan? Does he not remember? What could go wrong by just taking a little peek? <laughs> but it was almost like he was compelled to do it. Ooh. Ooh. Was like, he now? Everything mm. about him wanted to leave, but he just couldn't help. But watch. Just him. one little peek. Yeah. Well, that's a good perspective. Yeah, true. Mm. And that happens I, a lot with him. Like sometimes in his mind, he's debating what he should do and he knows better, but sometimes for no good reason, gets compelled. Mm-hmm. Well, oppositional mm. defiance, internal oppositional defiance or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's an Either that or like there was already magic being used on the people. Like, we're just going to keep you here. You're going to stay here, whether you like yeah. it or not. Hmm. Well, he gets up to the big group of them and it's, Same uh, you know, all, all the warders, 14 or so, I said I. Mm-hmm. And like as he's seeing this, uh, he starts thinking to himself, "Closer, you fool! I'm close already. Burn me! I should have gone the long way." So, like, kind of what you were saying, Chris. Even as he's 
getting out there and looking at it in his mind, he's like, Jesus, what am, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, <laughs> the whole point is for me to get away from this. And, and here I am like as close as close can be. Yeah. So, and yeah, and, and then of course, as they make it the way, Lord Algamar comes out and offers his official greeting. They do the whole stamp three times thing. And you know, who comes, who comes and, and you get all the titles too, which I was going to ask you a question. What do you think about those titles? What's your thoughts right. when you hear this? The Watcher of the Seals. Mm-hmm. That we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, have we heard Watcher of the Seals before? Yes. Oh, so. oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, we have at the end of book one. Okay. Maybe right, not the still... term Watcher of the Seals, but we mentioned that there were multiple seals that need to be protected. Sure. And that right, it was the but... women eyes to die that were tasked with it, and they tasked um his name just left my mind that fast oh the green man yeah 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 so like she's really in charge of the other however many seals and i don't remember if there was a number was it 12 that just that number keeps coming to my mind for some reason but so there's our mention of it I think it was seven seals. Seven, yeah. yeah. So. I like the number 12, so let's go with that for tonight. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's, I'm just gonna re, we're just going to rewrite it. It's seven, sir. <laughs> um, uh, but, okay, so announcing themselves, or, or the, the Amberlin seat announcing herself as the Watcher of the Seals, um, you know, that says that's one of their primary purposes for existing as an organization, uh, which, I, you know, I hadn't really caught on to that. Mm-hmm. in eye of the world but till the very end that's when we really started talking about it so that was neat yeah, yeah. and then uh, the ambulance seat steps out herself and scans around and Rand thinks even she even stops and stares at him for a little bit even though obviously she didn't he's like being super paranoid um, and it actually causes him to even hurry more and he makes it out of the courtyard and... Tima yeah then he gets the stable and get to meet this new guy Tima so we, we get, I thought it was really cool beyond meeting Tima. Like, yeah, that's cool. We, we met the servant boy who may or may not be around much longer, or may or may not be somebody to care about. We get a definition of what the owl means in Al Thor and how mm-hmm. it differs in different areas of the continent. Sure. Which yes. I thought that was pretty interesting because in this part of the world, owl means king. So they've been treating grand like royalty mm-hmm. so that's why I thought maybe these clothes were influenced by sure. but not decided on by Moraine right but where they would have gotten the dragon and stuff from would be the question because the only people that would associate Rand with the dragon would be those that were there when you know he was told those prophecies and such yeah, um, yeah. Al, Al in the Borderlands means king, and but in Two Rivers, it just meant son of. So, you know, it was not not nothing big. It was just a normal name. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we we have a lot of that today, where uh, old ancient names have been taken down um, that 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 meant things, but now don't mean things anymore. Um, you know, so like for example, Smith. 
which is the most common English last name, um, usually had to do with either a blacksmith or some kind of smith. Um, it was your job title. Um, and then looking at other names, maybe is where you're from. Um, and then there also is son of. So you have like things like William Sutton or William Sutton, son of, son of William. Um, but those were, those were titles, definitely, in ancient times. Yeah. And still last names today. Hmm. Pretty cool. Sure. Sure. So uh, <laughs> he, he goes and asks Tima if he can leave. And he's like, uh, no, we just came down. The gates are locked. You can't, no one's allowed out. Um, the order came from, from Lord Agamar's, uh, Agamar himself. Um, and yeah. And right about then, the, the welcome is finished. Uh, they get the, the chimes and the bells mm-hmm. and the welcome is finished. And it says, oh, the armland seat will be calling for you soon. And the chapter ends. So I'm, I'm hooked on who gave the order. Because um, even ran questions, was it Lord Algamar himself? And, you know, it's, well, it was told me by somebody else. Or, no, who could have, who could give such a command in Faldara? But it it wasn't obviously wasn't him that physically came there and told him. So when uh, the Amarlin seat comes in, what did they say? Welcome. Please watch me. No. He said something like Faldara is, is yours or something like that. Essentially, oh yeah, House House Jagad is yours. Faldara is yours. So does that give her authority to give orders like this? And could it have come from her? Or going back to our dark friend social, we know that there is probably someone around, um, possibly high up in the chain of command here that might be working for Balsamon and is trying to force this encounter between Ran and the Aes Sedai here. So... I, I'm curious if we find out where the order came from or even if it's significant, but yeah. I'm right there with you. I guess we shall see. We will. So yeah, I, I highlighted that area with you in regards to the greeting, and I'm like, this is such a formal greeting, but it it gives up all power, and I don't know if that's something that they do often, but yeah, is I'm that just a formal saying, or does it really give her authority while she's there? Yeah. yeah. We're going to find out in the next chapter. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, because what if, what if Rand, like, you know, runs Repeated. from them and runs for, like, the next three books or whatever, but come to find out, if he would just gone and talked to her, they could have you know, work together <laughs> and mm-hmm. this would have been a shorter series, maybe maybe three books, <laughs> maybe four. Yeah. You know, but he spent so much time running from what he should be doing. Mm-hmm. Of course, how, how, you know, how would he know? Right. Everyone, Everyone's a dark friend. So, um, any, any final thoughts for, for this, uh, these, these, these chapters? Nope. No more thoughts. I'm su- I'm surprised we were able to talk so much about these two chapters. Really, yeah, the most exciting yeah. part for me was the the sword <laughs> play with Lan, yeah, and learning a little bit more about the Haramark blade. And then, other than that, it was uh, you know. Well, I don't even feel like I learned enough. Like again, it was just like here's a quick brief. Your sword's super important, but 
we're not going to tell you anything about it. I was actually <laughs> you get, disappointed. You get a blip. Sure. So before I do my sign-off, one thing that we had done in the past, I didn't do it for the end of Eye of the World because it went so long in an episode, but we'll start again with The Great Hunt. Um, read out the chapter titles for the next two chapters. and Ooh, get I you guys look at thoughts. Oh, yeah. I'll read them out to you right now. So chapter three and four we're doing next time. Um, and chapter three is Friends and Enemies. Which we've had before. Yeah. And then number four, chapter four, is Summoned. There goes your choices being taken away. <laughs> Great. It's been replaced with summoned. Uh, choices is chapter 17. That's uh, We got a ways before we get the choices. Oh, again. oh <laughs> we, we do have it again. We, we get it again. Uh, but yeah. So, so friend, friends and enemies, uh, that's cool. Hope, hopefully, you know, if, if we get some enemies exposed, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. And what was the one after that? Chapter four? Summoned. Summoned? So I'm assuming he doesn't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. There you go, yeah. I'm guessing he's going to get a little FaceTime with the ladies. Yep. Yeah. Which ladies? I hope it's the ones I like. No kidding. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so... That kind of does it for this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, how you can find us. We can be found on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at the wheel reads, uh, the wheel reads at gmail.com is our, uh, our email address. Um, also, uh, we can found on discord. We have our wonderful, uh, live listeners right now on discord. Um, we will continue to do live ones on discord. Like I said, we're eventually going to Patreon not next week, but the week after, only for the live recordings, but we will um, occasionally do them for everyone, and I will announce on all social media when we do that. Um, but yeah, come join our Discord. Links below, a lot of fun. And then, of course, if you want to give to us, Patreon. The link for Patreon is below as well. Uh, feel free to browse, see the different tiers, feel it's appropriate for you. If you don't want to give, that's okay too. Don't doesn't doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I'm happy you're just listening to us. Um, but uh, but if you feel so inclined, um, you know, would love to have you guys as patrons, as patrons. Um, also, like, review, share us, subscribe any platform you listen to us on. Um, one thing I will tell you that is coming down the pike. Um, I'm, I, I decided to do this at the end of this episode because I know a lot of people just turn this off. Uh, once they're once I start doing my my routine, because I can look at the I can look at the analytics. I know you guys don't listen to this part, so uh, <laughs> um, we are in the process of, of of designing and launching a merchandise store. So that is coming down the pike. I will announce that in the beginning of an episode later once we get closer. But I uh, just wanted to let you guys know that there is merch coming. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we got some people designing it, um, designing pieces for us. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and once that's all kind of more buttoned up and we have more, more to offer and more to talk about, we'll kind of give some dates and kind of figure out when the official launch is going to happen. But, uh, look for that. It's gonna be kind of cool. You can buy all sorts of t-shirts and mugs and all sorts of fun stuff. So, um, looking forward to that. That's all I got for this week. So until next time, peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.